0: Hello and welcome to episode 59 of the Page One podcast. I'm Marco.
1: I'm Tarek.
0: And thanks for joining us at the Page One podcast where we would like to speak to writers of all kinds about their writing process, how they broke into the industry and try and get as many hints and tips as possible. Um, As ever, I would direct you to our back catalogue of some truly fantastic guests that we've had on the podcast. There's all sorts of writers from authors to screenwriters to comic writers to video game writers, journalists. Any kind, have, we, have we had Copy comedians? Editors, yeah, comedians, I yeah. mean, I think we've had all sorts of writers on on the podcast now. <laughs> um, so yeah, please do check out the, the previous episodes. But before you do, please listen to this one because uh, it's a very good one. Who have we got it's on this an week? an
1: excellent one. This week we are chatting with Sherry Jones, who is a uh, um, author from Barbados, who uh, is a lawyer in her spare time. She's also written... <laughs> past 20 years of short stories. She's published in Pank, Cadenza, Eclectica, Feminist Wire. She's broadcast in BBC Radio 4. Uh, And her first novel is just out about a week ago Mm -hmm. called How the One-Armed Sister Sweeps Her House and it's been getting some terrific buzz.
0: Yeah, and we talked to her about how she manages to... Write all of this stuff. while well, she still got this day job, and it's quite an <laughs> incredible answer, thing. the The answer <laughs> is get up. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Get up at three am is is I mean, the I answer. I heard her say
1: that was that's not going to work. That's for me in incredible,
0: theory. incredible devotion. But um, yeah, she talks to us about all the all the types of writing she's done. She's she's done a lot of short stories, as you say, and then uh, flash fiction as well. And then yeah, her her debut novel is just out, and it's got a lot of buzz. Um, it's it's a hard-hitting story but um Evaristo yeah. everisto is on the front cover saying it was a hard-hitting and unflinching novel from a bold new writer and she's only one of many uh, top writers that are that are praising this novel
1: yeah it's, it's 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 really i think it really resonates as well and i think you're right it's a hard story to to read but it's a it's a really beautifully written story at the same time and mm. it really is a fantastic book so i'd highly recommend have listened to the podcast and then... Head out and buy you buy, buy a copy of it, it
0: As a real course. book, not an e-book
1: Yeah, yeah as an e-book
0: <laughs> Anyway, we'll get on with the podcast now After a quick advert for our writer's notebook And then we'll be back at the end of the podcast With a bit more chat and to let you know about next week's guest
1: But for now, on with the podcast
0: The blank page To some it's terrifying An obstacle to overcome But we prefer to think of it as an opportunity A blank canvas to be filled With all of the adventures and characters in our head So how to overcome that fear? Well, we all know the best advice for a writer is... Write. Seriously, get words on the page and more will follow.
1: But what about later, when you start trying to pull those threads of what you've written together? What about the character you wrote about way back at the start? Who was she again? What was she carrying? And where did she leave the MacGuffin that she now really needs in the third act? Think about all those top thrillers you like to read. Or that amazing drama you just watched. What did they all have in common? And that's when we realized it's not just a story that needs structure and planning, but the way we gather all of our thoughts about it as well.
0: And so we made page one. Page one is more than just another notebook. It's a place to put down all your ideas for your latest project, divided into easy to use sections that will help you plan your story so that when that blank page comes calling, you're ready to answer. And then afterwards, once it's written, we realized you need to plan how to let people read it. So we included a section relating to submissions.
1: Each one is designed for one project. Whether you want to write a book, screenplay, a comic or any other kind of story, we truly believe that when you use it, it will help you get to the main event, writing your story. So we hope this helps.
0: We can't wait to read what you come up with.
1: And remember, every story starts with page one.
0: I understand that you have a day job as a lawyer. Is that correct? Which is something that both yes. Tarek and I can sympathize with because we, well, I've stopped being a lawyer, but Tarek is still a lawyer as well. So, oh, so. Wow, oh. that's amazing. You know exactly
2: what
3: it's like. Exactly. We, we feel your pain. We feel your pain. Um, wow. Yes. Yes. But
0: um, you, you, you uh, you've consistently written, I think, throughout that period, you know, is yes. writing what you always wanted to do? Was that the goal that you wanted? or the ambition yeah. that you had since you were young?
2: Yeah, I've written um, compulsively since I can remember. I think when I got to the stage of choosing what I do at university, um, it just never occurred to me that writing could be a career choice. Mm-hmm. Um, that's sort of not what good art students do in Barbados, or did in my time at least. Um so I settled for doing something which would use my writing and reading um, skills. Um, and I went into law as a result. But it took me quite some time, even after I started practicing, to recognize or, or you know, admit to myself that this was my life's work. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think I'm a lot closer to being able to go into it full time now. Um, but writing was something that I always knew I wanted to do. It was just, for a long time, it wasn't something that I considered a viable career here in Mm. Barbados. Yeah.
0: And did you get your law degree first or did you get, I think you got an MA as well. Did you get that? Uh, What what order did you do those in?
2: So I did the law degree first. I did um, a Bachelor of Laws degree, then I did what we call the LEC, which is almost like a pupillage, or Mm -hmm. um, it's two years to get a legal education certificate um, here after three years bachelor's degree. Um, And then I actually also did a master's at Queen Mary um, in the UK. Um, It was quite some time after that that I would have done the MA at Sheffield Hallam University. Um, You know, that was one of those times where I just, you know, the call to write was just stronger than whatever mm. I was doing during the day. Um, and I went to my boss at the time and, you know, said, I'm going to resign. I'm going to go off for a year and do this thing. And he very kindly said to me, you know, if you need a year to do it, um, go ahead and do it. Your job will be here when you get back. So, oh, fantastic. yeah, he was I mean, he was he was really understanding in that regard. And it meant so much to me. Um, because, you know, I'd been working hard before that, but it sort of made me work just that much harder when I came back to to feel as if he understood how important it was to me and, and was yeah. willing to support that. Mm-hmm. So, yes, so I did get the the writing MA after that, after the law degree.
1: I think making that, that step from, you know, a, an employment where you've got regular paycheck coming in and stepping out, uh, you know, I imagine that's quite a, a big step to do so they having that support system in place must be really really helpful
2: yeah um what had happened in that particular instance was that i had i won um an award that would waive tuition fees for me and my living expenses were basically um my savings so you know it was support in that if it didn't work out, I'd have a job to come back to. And I was able to work on breaks from studying. So that really, really helped. But yes, um, and that's a decision that I've repeatedly made. Um, I've left um, what people would consider to be really good jobs in the past and just gone off to just focus on my writing and then found that, you know, working in retail just seemed to do something to my muse. And, you know, it was even harder to write. Mm -hmm. Um when I had to worry about expenses and so on, but yes, um, it is difficult to make that um to make that switch um and it's something that I've done repeatedly, so I'll make the choice to focus on my writing, I'll do it for a little while, and then come back to the day job so it's it's been like that for a number of years,
0: mm-hmm. and uh, you you mentioned you 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 got an award, uh, I read that you, you won the Archie Markham Award and the A.M. Heath yeah. Prize. Was, it, yes. was that w- while you were at Sheffield-Hallam or was that after?
2: That was while I was um, full-time at Sheffield-Hallam right. University. So the Archie Markham Award um, was more or less a scholarship. It really resulted in the waiver of all tuition fees um, while I pursued the M.A. in writing. And then the A.M. Heath Prize was a prize awarded um, to the student with the best manuscript um, at the end of the course. Hmm. And that's that's determined partly by A.M. Heath Delivery Agency. Yeah. So, yes.
1: Fantastic. I mean, that, and that must be a real a real boost to the confidence of being like, yeah. I've made the right decision here and I've really got <laughs> talent that I need to explore.
2: Yeah, it certainly is. You know, that's one of the that's one of the wonderful things about this journey. It it really helps to have those little signposts along the way because it, it's quite a lonely, it's a solitary endeavor to begin with.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, but then, when you're in a situation where, you know, not a lot of people understand that compulsion or understand why it's important or the contribution it makes to life. Um, as we know it generally, there are some people like that. I had one director, you know, who said to me, "You know, what is it you're going to study again?" And I said, "Writing." And he said, "You mean like what? How to write words?" You know. Yeah. And he was just looking at me like, "What are What are you even thinking?" Mm-hmm. Um, so it really was was very, you know, it was a lot of it was it was really validating to. Just get these little signposts, these little things along the way that help to say, yes, you're going in the right direction. This is what you should be doing. So, yes, that was tremendously helpful.
0: Um, but I read on, I think it was on one of your blogs, that there was a point where you had almost given up on the dream of a book deal. Um, and then you would yes. resolved to make 365 submissions in a year. Is that Yes. Right? <laughs> <laughs>
2: Yes, you've been reading now on, <laughs> on, um, on Twitter or oh on my blog yeah um, so that would have been so okay so the same job um, that, uh, that allowed me to go off on the masters not long after I came back the company that I was working for was taken over by a large um, corporation and some of us were casualties of that whole exercise and I was one of them mm-hmm. so it was good in one sense in that you know the the separation um, package wasn't bad and it gave me a little bit of freedom to sort of think about what I wanted to do next. And I said, I, I decided I wanted to do a PhD. Um, and I started to pursue that. And about six months into my PhD, a whole set of things just started to go fantastically wrong. Um, and that ended up with me having to come back to... Um, to Barbados. And, you know, I, um, I can be a planner when it comes to how I want things to work how I sit down and I sort of plot um, all the different steps along the way. And for me, it was going to be PhD, you know, teaching job, book deal, and I just had it all worked out in mm-hmm. my head. And suddenly, you know, it was like, nothing was working out the way that I had planned. And I came back home, you know, and I was really upset about how things turned out. And I think it it took me a little while before I was able to talk to myself and say, but, you know, the truth is you're going to write anyway. Yes, the PhD gave you a really supportive community. It gave you the benefit of some really good critique, guidance on technique and all of that. But I was going to write anyway. Um... And I finally said, you know what, Sharon, maybe you're just, maybe you're just pursuing this just that much, just too much heart, too hard, too, mm-hmm. too, too much. Um, and I said, you know, just sit down and write the novel. You don't need a PhD to finish it. Just write the novel and focus on that. You know, when you're done, send out some queries. It might happen. It might not happen. But somehow it became less important at that point in time. And it's just, you know, that's just one of life's great examples of irony that precisely when I decided to stop pushing so hard was mm. when I actually got the got the book deal, finished the book and got the book deal. So yeah, it was there was that point when I said, Okay, I'm gonna stop pushing. This is something that I was trying I was pursuing for ages. I remember um, <laughs> a long time ago, um, I had queried an agent with a few short stories and i had done all this research. I read the writers, the Jest and, you know, the yearbook for artists mm-hmm. and writers and they, you know, all these articles and it said, well, you know, you know, for, for some really good writers, it takes, you know, they get like tons of rejection slips. Don't worry about it. It's a long process to publication, just, you know, just keep working. Um, and so I started off with that mindset. So I queried this agent, this really well established agent in New York um, with three stories. And she came back to me and said she wanted to see a full manuscript. Mm-hmm. I didn't have a full manuscript. I expected it. <laughs> writers, you know, writers 101, the mistakes you do not want to make. <laughs> before you're finished your manuscript. But I was so, you know, I had done all this research and I was so convinced that it was gonna take a really long time. I thought, well, let me just get a get ahead of this process. <laughs> I'll be writing, you know, as I'm getting the rejection slips and pasting them yeah. on the wall, you know. Um and I lost that opportunity as a result mm. because, of course, when she when she said she wanted the full manuscript, I couldn't believe it. So I immediately got writer's block um, and then I started looking for all the reasons why she wasn't a legitimate agent or there was something there was something wrong, you know. <laughs> <A scam. laughs> <I think> she, <laughs> it must have been a scam, <laughs> you know. And I think she eventually just, you know, she thought, okay, well, she's not serious or whatever. So I lost that opportunity about, ah, let's see, that maybe was almost 20, almost 20 years ago. Um, and that was, that was a good lesson for me, but it didn't dampen my enthusiasm. I still kept writing. I kept entering competitions. I kept submitting. I kept um you know thinking about when I was going to query um so yeah it's it's been quite a long quite a long journey for me but mm-hmm. yeah ironically when I decided just to relax and just focus on the work still query but to make it less of a big object that's when
0: this happened suddenly happened yeah
1: and did, mm-hmm. did working on the short stories over all this time, you know, that must have really helped you develop your voice and your style of writing and your planning or pantsing kind of editing style. And and, and by the, I, I imagine by the end of the process of a few years of short story writings, et cetera, you must have been a much more attractive offer to, to an agent, et cetera, because you, you'd really honed your craft a lot more.
2: Well, the, the interesting thing about that is that. Um, that actually hadn't been my experience. Um, you know, it, in terms of honing, honing my craft as a, as a writer, I tend to like stories that are told, um, as much by the words that actually appear on the page and the words that don't make it there, the things that aren't said. That's what I like. I love um, the distillation of thought. I love economic um, language. So writing short stories over time really did help me to develop that. Mm-hmm. Um, and actually, probably around the time that I was doing the, the M.A., um, I discovered Flash Fiction, which was like, oh, that was that was amazing. You know, that was, I really started to get into that. It was tremendously freeing, even though it was a smaller word space. Um, so in terms of how I like to write and and my style in terms of um, sparse prose or, or economic use of language, yes, the short stories were helpful. But I actually found that a bit of a challenge when I decided that How the One-Armed Sister Sweeps Her House was going to be a novel. Um, Because my writing initially was very episodic. Mm -hmm. So I would sort of land on the wall in the room, write the story, and leave. And the story would be what's happening in that room at that point in time with Mm -hmm. just enough backstory for you to understand it. But then I had a series of bits of narrative like that. Yeah. Um, And that actually proved problematic when I was trying to put it together as a novel. So I had a really good um, novel tutor at the time, Rachel Jen. And she said to me, you know, Sherry, what, what I think you might try is just putting all these episodes on different pieces of paper and getting some blue tack and just putting them on the wall and, you know, walk up to them read them, rearrange them, and start to get something that flows. And then you're going to have to write into those spaces where necessary. Um, so in that regard, my short story writing was probably a little bit of a challenge when I when I came to write the novel. Mm-hmm. Um, but in terms of my own style and voice, I think, yes, they really were very helpful.
0: And did you obviously... Your debut novel, How the One-Armed Sister Sweeps Her House, is, is just out, I think. And do you want to tell us a bit about what that what that novel is about?
2: Sure. So How the One-Armed Sister Sweeps Her House um, is a story about a woman called Lala who lives on the beach in Barbados, who lives and works on the beach. She's a hair braider on Baxter's Beach in Barbados. Um And she is married to a criminal by the name of Aiden, And the story is set in the mid-1980s when she has her first child. And on the night that her daughter is born, there's also a pretty gruesome murder on the beach. So the story traces how those two events are connected. Um, It also addresses themes of um, generations of violence, responses to violence and poverty. It seeks to examine um, some of the differences between the picture-perfect postcard Barbados that's presented to tourists Mm. and that some tourists actually experience when they're here, and the reality of life for a particular set of, of Bajans, Barbadians who live on that beach. So that is essentially what the story is about. And in telling Lala's story as well, I do reach back quite a bit to tell her mother's and grandmother's stories also, because that, that provides a lot of the background for her own um, choices and her own development by the time the, the novel ends.
1: I mean, it, it sounds like a, a really interesting story, and it, it sounds like quite a, a hard story to, in, in terms of it's not an easy story to no. to, to read and, and imagine, not to write as well. And and what was it yeah. that, that what was it that drew you to that to that story?
2: Okay, so there are a couple things there. the 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 way that I tend to start my stories um, is that I will hear a character speaking to me so I'll hear a few lines from the story um, or I'll hear something that the the character says in my head. I was working in the UK at the time and I was on the last leg of a very long commute home um, from work and this character just started to speak to me Um, and you know I by the, I think what attracted me to this story was, one, some of the similarities between myself and the character. Um, and then, two, when I understood when, what the time period of the story would be. You know, the, the 80s was, for me, when I really came into myself, I think, as a person. And there were lots of things about the 80s that were no longer with us. And it was a great opportunity to, to write about them and to go into that. So it was very difficult to write and it was difficult precisely because I had experienced similar things. So it was almost um, like revisiting with somebody else, with another character, things that I didn't particularly want to remember. Um, So that was difficult. Um, But I think the good thing about that was. I think it put me in the best position to write the story. So it was, it was incredibly um, healing for me personally, but it was also um, a benefit in that I was able to approach the story with some knowledge of, you know, some of the surrounding um, circumstances, some of the psychological issues, and that made it a lot easier for me um, to write. So, it really was hearing a character in my head and deciding, you know, to follow, follow the breadcrumbs and then write about it.
0: And when, when you're writing a story like that, that that um, mm-hmm. you're bringing so much to, you know, from your own experiences and things like that, but mm-hmm. how how do you deal with? an editor's notes for example you know is that do you ever feel that sense of pushback against what they're suggesting or you know (laughs) how do you process that
2: right so um in terms of the in terms of well you know i'll i'll let you in on on a secret as it relates to (laughs) to the book (laughs) There is one part of the book. What what now comes at the beginning, which is the myth um, after which the entire novel is made. That didn't actually come at the beginning right. in my in my draft. Um, that came later on in the story. And one of my editors said to me, you know, I think you need to put this right at the beginning. I think it needs to be a prologue. And he said, a prologue? Like... That's against everything I was taught, you know, in my <laughs> MA. Like, who who needs a prologue? If you need a prologue, something's wrong with the story. <laughs> um, and that that was sort of the thought process in my head, and so on. And, and you know, it's just kudos to my to my editor, um, that particular editor, Imogen, because she just, you know, she gave me the idea, and I sat and I thought about it, and I said, okay, Sherry, just just try. Mm -hmm. Um, and I put it at the front and it was like, you know, the the light came on and the world opened up and it just made so much sense. So for me, I think there is that attachment to the story, but I think by the time I finished and edited that story, it was, it was something separate from me. It, Mm -hmm. It had a life. And, and a body of its own. And I was able to just be about crafting it best I could and then polishing and editing to make sure it shone the way it was supposed to. So it really it really wasn't my story. So even though I could identify with certain things, there wasn't that ownership to the extent that if there was an editorial comment, I'd be, no, if, you yeah. know, that has to happen. That, yeah. that didn't happen to me um but there were some edits that I kind of thought oh do I, you know like a prologue do I really want to do that um and it had to be there I think we built that level of trust um that you know my editors were really really good in terms of how they delivered the comments and I had to have that openness to to receive what they were saying and to see how I could make it better. And at the end of the day, I think it really was, it really was best um, where she suggested. So, yes.
1: And there's been a, quite a lot of buzz about, about the novel. Um, mm-hmm. I think the quote from think, Bernadine Evaristo was a hard-hitting and, and, a hard-hitting and unflinching novel from a bold new mm-hmm. writer. I mean, you know, how you do you <laughs> deal with a quote like that? That's just fantastic.
2: Um, you deal with it from flat on your belly, on the floor, (laughs) and tears, screaming, like, does she really know my name, you know? (laughs) That's kind of how you deal with it, which means you don't, you know? (laughs) It was just, it was, it's surreal, you know? All now, some days, I just kind of, like, pinch myself, is this really happening? Is this really happening, you know? But, um... It's been, it's been incredible and it's wonderful that people have engaged with the book, um, not just authors who are already well-known and, you know, who are, are way better um, than I am, um, but also, you know, just readers and reviewers, normal working women and men who've read it and, and engaged with it and took something from it. And enjoyed it. You know, I'm really, really happy about that because I do recognize that it's not an easy read. It's not it's not something that you kind of go to to escape, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and have a light read that relaxes you. It's not that type of book. So I really appreciate everybody who takes the time to actually read it. Um, and then it's also really, really gratifying when people enjoy it, especially people like Bernadine, <laughs> <all> me
0: like
2: <laughs> who knew you know <laughs>
0: yeah yeah that's been great <laughs> it's got it's got some fantastic reviews i was looking on on amazon yeah. and goodreads as well it, it really yeah. has connected with people i think and yeah. I, I, how I, you know unfortunately this is a question we have to ask at the uh, in in present times but you know how has the launch gone because obviously it's not a normal time yeah. to be launching a book how, how have you found that
2: um so so far i think you know it's been going really well in terms of the response i read it launched in the uk on the 21st of january which is just last week mm-hmm. thursday um and it will launch in the us on the 2nd of february And I think in Canada, I think it's out officially tomorrow, even though some people, I think, have started getting copies. Um, So I actually, at this point in time, have no idea how sales are going. And I am just still caught up in the euphoria of people reading it and engaging with it Mm -hmm. and liking it. Um, I tend to be a glass half full type of person. So believe it or not, having written that book, but (laughs) (laughs) Um, I actually actually think that, you know, the pandemic has been good in terms of allowing people a little bit more time for introspection and perhaps, you know, if going out is not as much of an option as it was previously, Mm -hmm. then you know, hopefully people are reading and discovering books by new authors and perhaps non-traditional voices. Um, So, you know, I I actually, I'm not at this point in time, I I hope I can admit that, I, I don't know how sales are going, but just the reviews and the response that I've had and people messaging me to say, You know, I found you on Instagram. I read the book and I really, really loved it and so on. That has been just enormously gratifying. So I suppose at the point when I start thinking again that maybe I want to give up the day job, then I'll probably want to know how the sales are going. But for now, (laughs) (laughs) for now I'm just happy with the response that I have gotten.
1: And you you mentioned there about the types of voices that we're seeing in in writing mm-hmm. now, and you've been writing for a long time, a lot of short stories, mm-hmm. etc. cetera. And, and what's your view on, on how things have changed over the years in terms of authentic voices and publishing and, mm-hmm. and, and the types of voices that we're now seeing? Has is, is, is it changed over, the, over mm-hmm. your experience?
2: Um, I think it has. I think for, for me, Caribbean authors were publishing for quite a long time. I think what wasn't happening is that we didn't have that world audience. I don't think the wider world was paying as much attention as it is now. And that's partially because of writers like Marlon James and mm. Kai Miller and Naomi Jackson that have done fantastic things. They've produced work that everyone... Um, can identify with and, at some level and that's just, you know, quite apart from their origin or where it's set or what it's based on, what particular type of history. It's just good work. Mm-hmm. Um, so for me, I think the difference now is that there's a, there's a larger, more receptive audience that's actually engaged in, and looking to listen to what authors from my part of the world or who share my characteristics in one form or or the other have to say. And that's great. Um, I think also, you know, globalization and the internet. You know, when I I remember starting, when I started to write, I told you about the the yearbook for writers and artists. Mm. And I remember, you know, scribbling down addresses and envelopes and, putting in a, a stamp self address envelope and trying to explain to the lady at the post office why she had to give me postal coupons and how they were going to work, you know, internationally, yeah. because I would go and buy these postal coupons and put them in there. Cause I obviously I couldn't put stamps on, you know, it wasn't the same system um, and sending them off and crossing my fingers And I remember that time where you'd have agents saying, you know, don't send us an email, send us a hard copy manuscript. We'll get back to you, you know, and things have changed so much now. And that is, that is so good for authors from, you know, these parts of the world because it gives us more access Mm -hmm. to that wider audience. And I think that can only enrich the the reading and writing experience for everybody so yeah. i think it's it's a wonderful time to be a caribbean writer and i'm so happy and pleased um that people are paying attention to voices that might not have been the traditional voices um in publishing so yeah i'm really happy about that i'm very optimistic
0: and you you, you as we've mentioned you you do still have a day job um, <laughs> uh, how for the time being, hopefully not for much longer don't tell my why <laughs> um, but might you know how thing. how do you find the time to write? you know is it oh, where yeah. do you squeeze that in in your day mm-hmm.
2: So the first thing I would say is that if i don't get the opportunity to write it 's worse for everybody it's worse <laughs> for the kids it's worse for the job. I am just the craziest you know, most irritable person you will ever come across if there's a story sitting in my head that I can't get out. Um, But having said that, what I've tended to do over the years is I get up generally at 3 a.m., especially if I am really deep into a project or something that I'm working on. Um, I'll get up at 3 a.m. Some mornings I just don't go back to bed. Um, so at that time of the morning, when it's quiet and, you know, the kids are sleeping, the TV's off, I can just put on my music, um, and sit down and work. And I actually find that really energizing. Um, so that is what I do. In addition to that, there are periods of time where I just, I just go off, I will take my entire year's worth of holiday and go to a writers' colony. Um, at one point in my career, it was the writers' colony at Dairy Hollow in Arkansas, the U.S. Um, and I just go there for a couple weeks and just immerse myself in in my work, in my writing work. Um, I would have done the same with the Vermont Studio Center. Um, other times it's been less formal. I will just take time off and, um, you know, fly to a friend's house, you know, somebody who's, whose house is vacant and just just take that time. So mm-hmm. it's, it's been a mixture of taking blocks of time um, to work on my writing and consistently getting up at 3 a.m. and doing as much work as I can. Um, until everybody comes awake, and it's time to, for me to get ready for work.
1: So, and, and when you're doing that whole process, you know what? What kind of are you a planner or a pantser? You know, do you are you spending that <laughs> month away working out plot points mm. and, and arcs, or do you do you let like, you spend that month just saying, "No, I know where I'm going," or I just want to mm-hmm. hammer it out and just see see what happens, and, and just and just see what kind of book I have at the end of the month.
2: So I'm. Definitely more of an intuitive writer. Um, it's a very organic process for me. I okay. don't plan an outline. I don't know how it's going to end. Um, I just listen to to this character um, in that initial stage. That initial bit of that inspiration is just trying to get down what I'm hearing, what I'm seeing, um, what I think. I'm I'm being Told. Um, I think that's the best way I can express it. The stage after that is more about crafting. So that's when I can ask some questions. I want to know what's the motivation for this particular type of behavior. What could have happened in the past? You know, how did that come about? What type of person does this? You know, what does he or she look like? Um, Not necessarily physically, but psychologically. Um, So I ask those types of questions and then I'm trying to get at the real story. I'm trying to just get an outline of the story because I've said before that, you know, while I have these characters speaking to me, they don't all tell the truth and they're not usually very forthcoming um, when I first ask questions. So that's a little bit of of digging um, to get at the real story. So At that point, I'm trying to craft the story in a way that um, makes it shine, makes it, you know, ensures that, you know, just what needs to be on that page to tell this story is on the page. And then after that, you know, I'm I'm really divorced from the characters and, and everything else. And it's just about editing what needs to be cut, what doesn't contribute to the story, you know, I've killed a few characters that way, um, <laughs> but it's part of the job, and and that's just, that's just how it goes. So um, yeah, that really is that's that's my process.
0: And do you, so? The, do you go through a number of sort of complete drafts of of something oh, wow. of novel length, or do you revise as you go and then have something reasonably close to finished at the end?
2: No. So for me, it works best if I get that initial draft out first. When that character is talking to me, I better hurry up Mm -hmm. um, and write it down. So there's that sense of just almost just trying to hear, just trying to see. Um, It's almost like I'm bringing something from another place into the, the realm that I'm in. So I'm just trying to understand what that is and put it down. I find that if I start editing too early, it can just stop that process. So I need to get that draft out first. Um, So that's the initial inspiration. Having said that, by the time we get to crafting and editing, definitely I can go through a number of drafts. yeah, sometimes it's it's very frustrating um, for how the one arm sister sweeps her house. You know, it started off in the first person and it was Lala talking. And I had gotten an entire draft like that before I recognized, actually, based on what she's going through, she doesn't have that agency. And it's going to be very difficult for her to tell this story. Um, because of the trauma that she's experiencing. She's gonna be unreliable, but then there are things that you want to get out that you won't be able to get out with in the mm-hmm. first person. So I mean and that was a full draft and I, I I'm sure I don't have to explain to you what it's like having to sit at a computer <laughs> <laughs> and look for every single part you said I yeah. and you know, try to change that around. It it was just crazy but you know, that's that's part of the, the that's the hard work. That's the elbow grease. But it really, altogether, it's a joyful experience. So, yes, um, I, ha- I did go through several drafts. And, you know, I thought I'd finished with that process when my agent said, yes, we're ready. We're ready to query. We're ready to send out to publishing houses. And, of course, then the real editing started. <laughs> so we had about, <laughs> I think there were about another two drafts after that. So yes, I think that's that's just part of that's just part of the terrain, and it's something that I've come to welcome now because I do have some old manuscripts that I look at three years down the line and think, "What were you thinking? You know, you really thought this was done? Like, this is not done." So yeah, yeah, I just I just yeah, I have several drafts, and I've learned to just accept that that's the process now.
1: Do you? You know, at what point do you show someone the work? Do you is it a case of keeping it close to your chest until you're completely happy with it, or do you need that kind of outside input to to help shape it?
2: I I actually don't like the outside input. So, and that was one of the challenges for me um, when studying when I was doing the Emmy, and then when I started the the creative component of my of my post grad research. <laughs> Um, at that early stage, the feedback can be a little distracting. Mm-hmm. So I like to be able to, if I have finished that first draft, I can show parts of it or I can show the whole thing when I'm going into that crafting stage. Um, but I tend not to like to, to show my work when I'm able to look at it and say, well, this is very early stages. You've Mm -hmm. you've basically just listened and written down what you heard, but you haven't really done any crafting. Um, You have not started consciously applying creative writing techniques to this. You haven't started to interrogate this narrative or this character. You haven't done that. So I I tend not not to like to share it before that. Of course, um, with some of the deadlines, you know, during the MA and, and so on, I didn't have a choice. <laughs> um, I had to sort of feed the monster in the form of my supervisor who would just be like, Sherry, you know, get it to me. <laughs> I need to see it. But, um, yeah, I tend to, I tend to, ideally, I'd be able to get get that first bit out and then share it. And at that point, it's really, I like to share with people whose opinion I value and, and people I trust um, to give me that type of community feedback um, and then after that when I think I'm done I can send to a competition how the Wonder, I'm sister Sweet for example um, I'd entered it in a local competition and a big part of the reason for that was that you get feedback from the judges mm-hmm. I mean how many competitions offer that and it wasn't just you know, a few lines in writing, you actually get the opportunity to go sit with them and have them tell you what their impressions are, and that was tremendously useful. But at that point, yeah, um, in the process, I think a little earlier, I might not have. You know, it could actually probably stop me from being able to to continue and to finish.
0: Mm-hmm. And uh, obviously. How the One Armed Sister Sweeps Her House is just out, but are you working on a new novel just now, or have you got an oh, idea for yes. one? Yeah.
2: <laughs> I definitely am working on a new novel. Um, there's always short fiction and flash fiction um, going on in the background, mm-hmm. so invariably I'm working on more than one thing at a time. Um, so, yes, there is a flash fiction collection that I'm working on. I'm also working on a novel that's set on a cocoa plantation in Trinidad in the mid-19th century. And it's being told at this point in time from the perspective of an eight-year-old little girl.
3: Right.
2: Um, and, you know, there. I'm not at the point yet where I can say... Exactly what the story is. I kind of have an idea of what it's about and where it's going, but you know, running down the rabbit holes and so on is is part of the process Mm -hmm. for me at this point in time. So that's what I'm working on.
1: Is is there a a pressure, or do you feel a pressure on you for that kind of second album syndrome of you know? (laughs) everyone kind of knows you now and you've got to follow yeah. up with something. Or, or, or do you not really do you kind of put that mm. out of your mind completely and just just and just do your own pace
2: the thing is at a certain point my my only loyalty is to the story mm-hmm. so there's a point that I get to where it's you know I just want to make sure that it's almost like if I've been some like a servant mm-hmm. in a way and I I just want to make sure that I've done justice to what I've been, what I feel I've been asked to do the best way I know how. If I'm happy with that, I'm less worried about what other people think. But I do have to say after such a long time, you know, just being in the trenches and everybody, everybody thinking you're crazy for leaving that job and going to do this. I mean, what's writing, like how are you going to get money and so on? And then to come in to have this novel come out after all of that, um, and to get such a great, you know, sort of rapturous response, I do think when I when I really get into the second one, when I when I'm getting to that point of perhaps being closer to the to release, I think, you know, there probably will be that temptation to stop and say, "Hang on, you know, what are people going to think of this? Will they like it as much?" Um, writing is very personal. We can't get away from yeah. that, even if it's not our story. So there is that element of, you know, I hope people will like it. But at the end of the day, I just want to think, I just want to be able to think to sleep and to think knowing that I did the best job I, I possibly could. That's the best story I could have written. That's the best yeah. treatment I could have given to the story. Possibly somebody could have done it better, but. It was mine to deliver at that point in time, and that's that's all I could do. So after that, it kind of goes out into the world, and it's no longer mine. Yeah. So that's how that's how I look at it.
0: And is is you sorry? Is that a novel that you're working on just now? Do you have a a deal for that, or is that going to just be a separate pitch at at some point?
2: Yeah. So. I don't have a deal for that. I'm sure my agent, I mean, she's just she is like badass. Can I say that? <laughs> yeah, I'm you badass. can say that. That's fine. <laughs> <laughs> she is totally badass. I don't know. This this I am just in awe of my agent. She's just she's very forthright. She knows her stuff. I just feel like I'm in very safe hands with her. We don't have um we don't have a deal for that one yet, but I'm sure. You know, once she thinks it it passes muster, she'll she'll get on that. So I'm not too too um, I'm not too worried about a deal right now. Of course, if if a year from now I'm still in a day job, I think I will be a lot more concerned. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Uh, who is your agent? Give yes. her a shout out since she's a badass.
2: Oh, Claire Alexander at uh, Aiken uh, Alexander, the absolute best. Excellent. There you go, Claire. <laughs> Big shout out.
0: Yes. Yes. <laughs> Brilliant. What was the last book that you read?
2: Mm-hmm. So the last book that i read was actually in praise of love and children um by beryl gilroy it she's a caribbean um writer um and it's published by people tree press and i was actually reading it to i read it for pleasure but i also read it just to try to examine what some of the early caribbean female authors how they were treating with issues like domestic violence and other women's issues so it was it was tremendously um edifying from that perspective Mm -hmm. and I also enjoyed it in terms of the immigrant experience and and what some of the concerns were at that at that point in time so that's the last that's the last book I read
1: cool nice and what about Mm -hmm. the last tv show that you watched
2: oh my gosh tv shows that's my area (laughs) the crown (laughs) the crown and the Queen's, um the queen's gambit oh yeah Uh, oh my goodness absolute absolutely enjoyed those two um i love anything that takes me back um to bygone era Mm -hmm. i love the costumes i loved you know, feeling as if I was transported into the past. Um, quite apart from that, it was just some very, very good writing, um, and I really appreciated that. So it would have been those two. Um, the Queen's Gambit and Bridgerton, sorry.
0: Bridgerton. Yes. Yeah. yeah,
2: Bridgerton, yeah.
0: yes. Um And uh, the last film you saw?
2: The last film, no, I haven't watched... I Haven't gone to the movies a lot in you know in a long time, probably from for probably since last year, um, with COVID. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, ha- I did watch what was the name of that? It was about Madden CJ Walker, um, who invented hair products for black women. Um, that was it was serialized, I think there were probably about Five or six episodes. Right. Oh, um, it... I did watch
1: Self Made.
2: I think it, I think Self Made, yes, I think that was the name of it. Um, and prior to that, the 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 movie that just just came to my mind when when you asked me that, even though it might not actually have been the last one, was Joker. Oh, yeah. I absolutely loved Joker. Um, I love any any you know literature or um, movie any sort any art that explores the darker side of the human psyche and i just thought you know the joker was just so well done I really enjoyed that movie
0: yeah it certainly does that
1: the- <laughs> <laughs> yeah and the uh, mm-hmm. the very last thing we always do is a uh, quick fire either or and there's no right answer apart from one question. And okay. the first one is uh, Marlon James or Bernadine Evaristo?
2: Bernadine Evaristo.
1: No hesitation.
2: No. I love Marlon James. I feel bad. I love Marlon James, you
0: know. But he didn't um, give you a quote for I your book. You? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, screw Marlon. <laughs>
2: Book of Night Women, I absolutely enjoyed that. I do, you know, there are some arguments that I would probably have with him given <laughs> the opportunity to, but um, I think Bernadine Every still for me on that.
0: Excellent. <laughs> uh, TV or cinema.
2: Cinema. Cinema. There's just something about sitting in the cinema and having that stereo, you know, throne song and there's this huge screen, and just getting totally immersed in what's on the screen. So, I'd say cinema. Nice.
1: Uh, fancy restaurant or a takeaway?
2: Fancy restaurant, of course. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: uh, and the last one uh, real book or ebook?
2: Oh, real book. There is nothing like that smell when you yeah. open the oh, covers man. and it's I new and you know it's just there's just this, this experience and being able to touch it and you know having your bookmark to the last page or you know I still like to to look at at books that I bought a long time ago and I would always write my name and the date that I bought the book and it would just take me back it's, it's just a wonderful um experience for me to have a printed book in my hand yeah. I'm not that big on I'm not that big on ebooks to be honest I can understand you know how how useful they are I do listen to books on audible mostly self-help um but a good you know a good piece of fiction I want that book in my hands and I want to be able to get in there so yes definitely hard
3: I you
1: will never understand you've what disappointed it Tarek was there. like about smelling books, if I'm quite honest <laughs> was, was, was he hoping
0: that I would say he's, he's very I'm much so an e-book sorry. advocate, <laughs> whereas I'm for the real books, so I'm very happy with that yeah, so. real books over here yes, I love real books uh, <laughs> so I think Tarek, I've thought how to resolve this ebook real book thing that mm-hmm. is going so badly for you? We well, you you declare now that you admit that everyone prefers real books, and then we can change it to audio books and real books. audio books and ebooks. <laughs> sorry, and you might have a chance there. I'm not sure.
1: Wait, so do I? Am I being forced to take a side in this new in the new? Are you always the real book man? Is this am I just? Well, no, the no,
0: real thing? books is one. So you have to <laughs> you have to accept that publicly. <laughs> and then we can bring in audiobooks and ebooks or audiobooks and real books, whatever you want, you can you can change oh, you up.
1: Well I'm 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 it's a, you know, democracy is democracy. And I'm happy to say that I don't agree with the outcome, but uh, there's obviously a lot of idiots out there <laughs> and who love smelling books and all this kind of weird stuff that I don't understand. But uh, fair enough, go for it. Go, go. I'm happy to put my hands up and say real books. Well
0: played. Okay, excellent. Good, good. Uh, that's resolved. So <laughs> next week there will be a, well, actually, no, there's some in the can, of course. That's, that's the only problem. Oh, but yeah. Oh, we yes, will we will bring in audiobooks. I mean, boots.
1: Pre- really admitted, um, you know, yeah. I should have waited. Actually, now I think about it, they're all e-book winners. I possibly <laughs> pulled me over the edge if I just hung back. Yeah, well played, well played Marco You, you completely tricked me
0: Exactly, excellent <laughs> um, But I, I, I really enjoyed that chat with Sherry I, I thought it was really interesting it, it, actually
1: really fun. Yeah, it was a really fun chat And it was really interesting what she was saying About kind of waiting for that character to speak to her To get that kind of spark of something going And then just letting it organically grow mm-hmm. from there And not really planning it too much it's a,
0: Yeah, I always wondering. wonder about that like, Just because yeah. I'm, a, I'm a compulsive planner to, mm-hmm. to my detriment, I think in some ways because i have spend so long doing a plan that that I tie myself up in knots sometimes. But you know, if you if you're someone that just writes like that, I would always worry. And this comes from me being a planner because it obviously does work as a process. Mm-hmm. But that you you'll be left with something that might be very well written, but it doesn't it doesn't form a story at the end of the day. I don't know.
1: Yeah, I know what you mean. You kind of. It- my worry is that you end up kind of writing yourself into a corner, mm-hmm. or you've and and I guess, of course, that's what rewrites are for, yeah. edits are for. You go back yeah. and you give the yourself a crafting, way out, bit of it. Yeah. yeah, but yeah, that's my that's my fear of of going without that kind of knowledge of where I'm going, at least of some degree. You know, there's mm-hmm. always that moment when you think, oh, an idea comes to you, and you think, actually, I could I could do this. Yeah, thing, absolutely. That. And that's yeah. great, but but yeah, I, I like having the security of a
0: plan of behind article. that. Yeah, uh, the, then market. I feel ready to go off on tangents or whatever. Yeah. But yeah, yeah.
1: no. Because but I've played, hoping the safety mat will be there on the ground when you it, get there
0: exactly, exactly. But um, yeah, no. It, it was it was really good. to Sherry to to take the time to come on to the podcast, and yeah, I think how the one arm sister Sweeps Our house is going to be a, a very big book. You know, if you've got authors at the standard of Bernardine Everisto and Mark Haddon giving you um, brilliant reviews, then uh, yeah. It deserves to do really, really well. So do check that out, although it is as as we discussed, quite a hard hitting novel there. Um, but next week we've got another great guest on the podcast.
1: We do indeed. Next week we are chatting with Mary Hanna who is an award winning, multi award winning author. Uh, crime novels, police procedural mm-hmm. type novels. Um, it's a very kind of interesting angle that she has. She's, she used to be a probation officer, so mm-hmm. she kind of has that knowledge and her partner is a Detective, so there's an authenticity there. that I think a lot of books maybe don't have, and it's it's a, they're really fantastic crime novels.
0: Yeah, and her latest, without a trace, won the Capital Crime Book of the Year, I think, in 2020. Sure. So, um, it's a really great chat uh, with Mary. So please do tune in for that one. And um, before we go, I will ask, as always, if you enjoyed the podcast to give us a quick rating on Apple Podcasts or whatever podcast app you use, and if you want to leave a review praising the podcast even better (laughs) Um, so yeah please do take the time to do that it really helps us in terms of staying up in the rankings and continuing to get great guests on the podcast
1: and of course if you want to get in touch you can always send us an email to podcast at uk or uh, twitter can be nope. Or a tweet... A Twitter? A Twitter? What's a Twitter? (laughs) That's why I don't do very well (laughs) on social media. Or a, a tweet can be sent to at right underscore gear. And I've, I mean, already... The number of e- tweets I've had. I mean, I
0: had to turn off the notifications because of the number of tweets. <laughs> yeah. me get get get. asleep.
1: <laughs> exactly. You sleep buzzing. And you know, and listen, people, I'm all the warrior, all the e warriors that have been backing me on Twitter. It's just. Yeah, stupid. yeah. I think those you are Russian bots
0: or something, Tarek. <laughs> that you you programmed. Um, well, uh, have a great week, and uh, we'll see you next episode.
1: See you later.